As we come to our, our scripture this morning, we're picking up in a series of sermons that have been going, ongoing about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, Abraham, of course, was a man who uh, lived with great faith in the midst of God's covenant promises to him, who lived with patience during the mundane waiting of those promises to come to fruition, and one who lived with confidence even in the midst of crisis. Um, that was, same crisis was experienced by Isaac. And then, in a way, Abraham's story, you could pull those three themes sort of apart. Uh, covenant promise, mundane waiting, and moments of crisis. But in Jacob, they sort of come back and converge together, all crashing into one, of, one another. We saw Jacob uh, tricking his brother out of his birthright and then tricking him again out of his father's blessing, Jacob, the heel grabber, the deceiver, the liar, who is then pursued by his brother who intends to kill, kill him, and he flees to the north seeking a place and also a wife. Along the way, he lays his head down on a rock and is given this dream with a ladder stretching from earth all the way up into heaven with angels ascending and descending upon it. In that place, God makes his promises to him. In that moment of crisis... He also receives covenant promise in just an ordinary place on an ordinary night. He continues on, makes it eventually to where Laban lives and marries Rachel, but not before Laban tricks him also with Leah. Then time passes. Jacob's family grows. He is prosperous in different ways. And the promise that God made to him when he saw the ladder connecting earth and heaven and the Lord standing upon it, the Lord who speaks to him, who promised that one day he would come back to this same land. He was going to Laban's, but he would come back right here. God would give him this land. He would give to him a family and that he would bless him in order to bless all the world. Jacob's returning towards the place where that promise was made in today's passage. Which sounds wonderful except that Esau, his brother, the one he had tricked, the one who promised that he was going to kill Jacob, was also on his way to that place from the south, and Jacob from the north, and they're coming, they're about to meet, and Esau has hundreds of men with him, an army at his disposal. And you'll remember how Jacob takes his family and separates them into two groups thinking that, well, if Esau attacks one of them and kills them all, at least some might have a chance to survive. Imagine that for a moment. And he sends these two groups of his family across the river Jabbok in front of him, separating them, and awaits his encounter with Esau the next day. In preparation for that, Esau, excuse me, Jacob um, retreats. And he goes back by himself he remains on one side of the river while everything else awaits him on the other and it's to that point that our text leads us this morning so i invite you to listen carefully and listen well for this too is the word of the lord it comes to us in genesis chapter 32 beginning with the 22nd verse the same night he arose and took his two wives his two female servants and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. 
And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing unto you, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, I have to admit, uh, even as, as last week's sermon was a, a bit of a struggle, this one was as well. And I got into the passage in the beginning of the week and wasn't sure quite where we'd go, uh, because you might remember I preached on this passage not long ago. It's probably longer than I think, but it wasn't that far in the past, a year maybe. And typically I walk away after church and have a little time where I know not to trust my, in, you know, my gut instincts about how did that go this morning. Um, you, usually uh, I find myself wishing I'd done something different or feeling like maybe that didn't connect or having some reproach. But I do remember when I preached from this passage before, I, I went home thinking that was probably okay this morning. I think that was maybe one of my better sermons. And so here I am again. Well, what am I going to say this time? And I was struggling with that a little bit, and I thought, well, maybe what I'll do is look at the other scriptures in the lectionary prescribed for this day. You know, the series of readings, there's, a, there's assigned text for every Sunday. And so I went to the gospel reading for this Sunday from Matthew chapter 14. And I thought, well, maybe this might shed a little light because the people who were putting the lectionary together that's been used for centuries upon centuries, pretty wise folks, and there's some common themes that can be found there. And the story in the gospel was the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. I thought, what in the world does that have to do with Jacob meeting Esau wrestling with God in the night. And then I thought, well, I'll read back just a little bit to get some context. And, and then I discovered something interesting. Jesus, immediately before He fed the 5,000, had received news that John the Baptist had been put to death. And John the Baptist was his cousin, but he was also the one who had baptized him. He was also the one um, whose life had shaped Jesus so much to that point. They'd been together in ministry. In fact, 
Jesus repent and believe the good news of the gospel was also proclaimed by John. And Jesus gets word that his cousin, one that he loved, who'd been with him from the very beginning, even leaping in his mother's womb as, you know, his mother and Mary came together, that he had been beheaded. And the text tells us that Jesus, upon hearing this, retreated and went away by himself across the sea, across the sea, that he might spend some time alone with his God and Father. And then I said, oh, because Jacob is in this moment of difficulty, hardship, fear, stress, heightened emotions, concerned about what the next day will bring. Jesus is sad at least, but also reflecting, I'm sure, upon his relationship with John and the mission that God had called him to and all that he knew was ahead for him. If this happens to John, what do you think Jesus thinks is going to happen to him? Jacob and Jesus both go across the water and have time alone with the Lord. And there was the point of connection. In fact, as I looked at the story of Jesus, I saw that this happened over and over and over again in his life. It's easy for us to see the miracles, the great blessings, the the amazing teaching of the Word because He is the Word incarnate made flesh for us. He lives out what He proclaims uniquely as no one else does. And yet He also speaks to us in language we can understand. We hear that. We see His mighty works. That's amazing. But if you look at the Scripture, before that happens, over and over again, Jesus goes off by Himself to pray. He goes off by Himself to be alone with the Father. He says, there's nothing that I do or say that does not come from the Father. I don't speak a word to anyone without that being from my God and Father. And so, we see Jesus, His first day of ministry in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Although this story is not in one of them. I don't remember which. But in His first day of ministry in the Synoptic Gospels, Jesus is in Capernaum. It's a place called his town for a while. He goes to the home of Peter's mother-in-law, who is sick. The text tells us that he takes her by the hand and raises her up and heals her, makes her well. She begins to serve them and all the other disciples, returning in thanks, blessing for that which she has received. And then word gets out in town that Jesus has just done this, and people begin to come to her home. I got to actually go and stand right beside that home a couple years ago. And uh, as this was happening, people brought those who were sick and ill and need of healing. Jesus healed them. He blessed them. Uh, A variety of illnesses. Anyone who came was healed. The town camped out overnight after Jesus' first day of ministry. They didn't want to miss anything else that he might do the next day. But the text tells us that Jesus got up early in the morning before the dawn and went away by himself, away from all the people, all the clamor, all the joy and the celebration of miracles to be with the Father. His disciples couldn't find him. They went to find him. Eventually they did. They said, Lord, everybody's looking for you. Come back. What are you going to do next? He says, 
It's time for us to go. It's time for us to go. I need to proclaim the gospel throughout all this area, not just in this one place. He went away by himself. He received the word of God. And then he continues on. In the same way in our passage today, he retreats. He's alone. He's, he's by himself. He experiences solitude. He's in prayer with God the Father. And then he comes back. The people chase after him. He proclaims the word. And then he gives them a feast. The feeding the 5,000. The night of his arrest. We'll remember this later. Jesus did what? He went to the garden of Gethsemane knowing that what had faced John was soon to face him. And he pulled away, and he, he left his disciples in one place, and he went off by himself to pray. And then he kept coming back, right, and they were asleep. He said, can't you pray with me just one hour? <clears throat> Which I always am mindful of when Sunday mornings come around. One hour is about it. Jesus makes that invitation to us. And then... He goes and proclaims the word, and he offers himself to us as an offering. This pattern of being uh, experiencing solitude um, is a pattern that replays itself over and over. And in fact, I was realizing as I was struggling with this passage this week that not only is it seen in Scripture, but I, I had this light bulb go off. And I realized this is what I've been experiencing myself. So I share this with you not in any way to sort of say, hey, look at me, but it's to say I experienced what I felt like God was calling me to preach this week. And so as you know, because you got a thousand text messages just from me this week, I apologize for that. Prayer requests for one person after the next, after the next. Um, I woke up early in the morning, had a text from Glenn Johnson, said um, that Lois is in the ICU in Boone, we got here in the middle of the night. I said, they don't know what's going on with her. I said, I'll be there as soon as I can. And, you know, I think there are some times in my life where I think, I, okay, I can do this myself. Um, you know, ordinary routines, normal things. I say, well, I've got, you know, I don't have to depend so much upon God, but this was, again, one of those moments where I realized getting into the, the truck, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's ahead for Lois or Glenn or anyone. And I said, I, I knew that they didn't need me. What they re, who they really needed was, was Jesus and whatever Jesus might happen to do when we all got together. And so I got into the, to my vehicle and I said, uh, Lord, help me. And I said, I probably need uh, to pray on my way. And so I got a, a prayer app that I use. It's Lectio 365. And I turned it on. And, and the person will just kind of read, will offer the prayers up and a meditation on Scripture um, so I could just listen as I drove. And so I got to the end of that series of prayers, and this was part of it. Isaiah 41, verse 10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Oh, be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I said, thank you, Lord. That's what I needed. 
And I walked into room two in the ICU, and there's Glenn, and there's Lois, and she's unresponsive, really. Her eyes are open, but she can't communicate with me. I look at Glenn, I look at Lois, I said, hey, here's what God has for me to tell you this morning. Do not fear. I am with you. O be not in spade. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And you know what? I realized as I was working through this passage that I, I retreated. I had time with the Lord in solitude where I was seeking out his word, his will. It was beyond me. I needed it, and he provided. And not only for me, but then I was able to share that with others who needed to hear that probably more than I did. And that's what we see with Jacob. That's what we see with Jesus here. I left the hospital and went to life care in Banner Elk. Went to see Marie Isaacs and Bob Griffin. As I was leaving, Carol, uh, who is head of hospice for Avery County, caught me in the hall and said, I'm so glad I happened to see you here because I wanted to tell you that Sam Ray, whom she's been caring for for a couple of years now, has taken a sharp downturn this morning and you should go see him. I said, I'm on my way. Make it to Sam's house. Go in, uh, labor, breathing, maybe he has pneumonia, raspy, difficult breaths. He's not able to speak to me, but his eyes are open. He's, he looks at me. And guess what I said? <laughs> there it was again. Do not fear, Sam. The Lord is with you. Oh, be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And we got to pray together. That was the day he died. We prayed together. I prayed over him. Those prayers that we pray at the end of a person's life. And then I realized, you know, I probably need to pray. I said dementia. I said, I'd like to pray something that I don't know how much he's taking in, but something that might be down deep, you know. So I just prayed the Lord's Prayer. Prayed the Lord's Prayer with him. I said, Amen. Sam looked at me and said, Amen. And there it was. Uh, time of retreat early in the morning where I was feeling overwhelmed, when I was knowing that, well, at least in the first instance, going to see Lois, it wasn't me that could handle it, but God needed to be in control of all that. Not knowing what else was coming in just the next few hours, but over and over again, what God gave was what I was able to share. I think that's the way of it. This invitation to solitude and retreat that we see, that I experienced this week personally by God's grace, was also something we see modeled over and over again in Christ. And we also see it in Jacob's story. And just like Jesus, that time of retreat then leads to a word that you can share and leads to a feast that we can enjoy together. But when you retreat, there's also a wrestling that happens. You know, I don't know how you think of, of time alone with the Lord, but a wrestling match may not be what pops in your mind first thing. But that's what happens here. And there's a number of different wrestling encounters that take place. The obvious one is the one that 
Jacob engages with the man, the angel, God. There's a progression in the story and understanding of who this is. But the implicit behind the scenes, you have to pay attention to the detail kind of wrestling that takes place, is at the very beginning where Jacob has to wrestle with and, and detach himself from the world. Notice that he sends everything else and everyone else and all of the things that he's so concerned about across the river. And he pulls back to encounter God alone. And so the first wrestling that takes place is saying, I'm going to let go of the world. How many things clamor for your attention? How many things do you just absolutely have to do right now? Or in the next hour? Jacob first has to let... I mean, this is not just ordinary stuff. This is like he thinks he and his whole family might die tomorrow. Kind of heavy. That's what he's having to let go of so that he can seek the Lord. Of course, in some sense, like, what else could you do in that moment? But in order to encounter Christ, to open himself up to God, he's really got to turn his focus and attention away from all those things to the one he hopes in. So the first wrestling has to do with the, wor the world. And then the internal wrestling that takes place with all the fears and worries and concerns that he has, all the emotions that are coursing through him, he has to let those go and try to step away from them to pull himself away from that as well until eventually the Lord is there wrestling him. And we come to see at first he thinks it's a man and then he perceives this to be an angel of the Lord and then eventually at the very end he says, I have seen God and yet my life has been spared. And so the wrestling that takes place with God in this, in this instance, uh, in this pivotal moment in his life, as he retreats, as he lets things go, uh, is one in which sort of a paradox opens up for us, which in both instances point to Jesus. So one thing that I noticed this time was that Jacob prevails. It's stated twice, once in the negative and once in the positive. Uh, the angel perceives that he does not prevail. And then Jacob is stated as having prevailed. Jacob prevails. Now, I'd always thought, well, Jacob prevailed. The angel touches his hip or Christ, as the early church understood this to be. Touches his hip and it's thrown out of socket. And then the Christ figure wins and Jacob loses. But that's not what the scripture says. It says that Jacob prevails Jacob prevails despite the fact in the end that his hip is injured and his opponent says, let go of me. The dawn is coming. Let me go. And Jacob says, again, the heel grabber, not until you bless me. And we see in this instance that the angel or Christ, though... Uh, um, overcome in this instance is the one who blesses now normally we would think that the one who's victorious who prevails who wins in some way is the one who would bless the other the one who has been defeated but then we look at the cross 
and we see Jesus Christ, who has been laid a hold of by humanity and put to death there after being beaten and scourged and so on and judged guilty, is nailed upon a cross, overcome, and yet it is from this position and this place of seeming defeat that Jesus blesses us. With what? The doing away with of our sin? The defeat of death itself? Reconciliation with God? The fullness of God's blessing is given here where Jesus appears to have been overcome. It's, it's hinted at ever so subtly in this encounter that Christ, the angel, has with Jacob. Overcome, he blesses. But then Jacob himself also, in his own way, demonstrates this. Because Jacob, having suffered the wound to his hip, is also the one who in the end sets free. And so too in Christ, in the wound that He has borne for us, He grants us freedom and release from that which has enslaved us, which has bound us, which has kept us down. And remember last time we talked about this passage, we saw this connection between Jacob's limping from this injury, this wound that he's received, and Christ. Because Jacob crosses over the river, and this is an experience of entrance into heaven. But crawls across the river, we discover he has reconciliation with Esau. The whole family's gathered together, who also happens to be the people of God in this instance. And there is rejoicing, there is fi- uh, there, there's, there's feasting, there's exchanging and giving of gifts and, and mutual love and respect. And they return home to great celebration. Jacob has this, is this picture of heavenly homecoming, because indeed he's coming home. And yet he limps. And so too, in heaven, we meet Christ who bears the signs of His wounds still yet in His hands and feet and side, and yet now they are glorified. Signs of His victory for us. So you see the paradox going on in this this final encounter. Jacob and, and the angel of Christ. The paradox of one who having been overcome blesses, one who bears a wound setting the other free. There's a retreat, a stepping away. There's a wrestling that happens, and in that wrestling, the blessing of new identity and new name. Jacob's been the deceiver, the liar, the heel grabber, the one who's manipulating everything to his own ends, but now he's Israel, one who wrestles and strives with God. He also sometimes is referred to Israel as one who sees God because he says at the end of this passage, I've seen God, and yet... I have, my life has been, has been spared. This pattern is true for your life as well. Times of stepping away in retreat from all your worldly cares to be with the Lord requires a bit of wrestling on your part and turning, turning away from the world giving away all those things that you have pulling at you internally, that you might be open to what God has for you. And as you wrestle, God's word also comes to you, just like the word came and wrestled with Jacob. And you are given a word. Do not fear. 
I am with you. Oh, be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, help you, uphold you by my righteous right hand. That is a word for you that renames you and reorients you in everything you experience as you go back into the world. Because now you are patterned in such a way that you can share that word with others. It becomes a feast where you might feed 5,000. It becomes a celebration where you might know reconciliation with your brother or your family. It becomes a celebration and experience even of Christ's triumph in our heavenly return. The kingdom of God is taken beyond the bounds of your heart into the world and lives of those around you. That's on offer. It also happens to be the pattern of worship. So guess what? You've already done this today. Maybe without knowing it. You have left the world behind, haven't you? In some sense this morning, to come and to gather here. In a place that is designated and consecrated for God's glory. It's made out of, you know, wooden bricks, just stuff of the world, and yet it is given over to God's purpose. And what did we do? We wrestled with ourselves a little as we had to come face to face with our sin in the prayer of confession and offer that to God. We turned from the world. We turned from those things internally. We know we need to change. And then we gathered around God's word. And I hope and pray that God has a word for you today in the midst of this word as it comes forth from the scripture, from the choir singing. And as that word is given, guess what? You are led to a table where we then feast. Because when God speaks, he also feeds. And we receive Christ's mercy yet again, and we're sent out into the world so that we can also share what we've received. You might even receive something today that before you even knew it this morning is also for someone else you'll meet this afternoon or tomorrow or next Friday. God is doing so much more than we know all the time. But occasionally, we're given a glimpse of it. And we see how God tends to work in the order in which that tends to flow. And when I see that, it makes me want to enter more fully into the way that God operates. And if that's true for you as well, then I wonder when this week you intend to retreat from the world, to move beyond all the things that you have going on in your mind and heart, and to be with God so that you can receive His Word and then share it. I really want you to be thinking about something in particular. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.